Hospitality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. Welcome to episode six of the Mike and Mo Show. I'm Mike Calandrillo. He, as always, is Maurice Moten, and it is Sweet 16 Day. We have got four games in store for you today, four tomorrow, and then moving on to the weekend. After it's over, we will be down to the final four. So we are definitely going to talk a lot of March Madness action. We've got plenty of NBA, some MLB, some uh, some important stuff too that has to do with MLB. A little bit of uh, politics right up Mo's alley. But before we get into all that. Let's t- let's see exactly how we got to where we are today. Mo, what were the games from last week that, uh, I don't know, left an imprint on what you saw? Well, I mean, I know Gale's not in the tournament anymore, but I really like their effort against Duke. Duke was killing them after after the first half, and they, they made a valiant effort to try to, drive, to try to drive back into the game and get the victory. They didn't get it. They lost 71-64, but valiant effort for Yale. They made me look smart for at least a couple of days, and I picked them over Baylor, and a lot of people did it. Uh, Mike was one of them. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, the Arizona game kind of disappointed me because I expected more from Arizona. I know Bleacher Report said to warn me not to trust Pac-12 teams. I trusted Arizona, and I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, Should have listened to Bleacher Report on that one. Um, the uh, Actually, another game that surprised me, obviously, Michigan State bowing out early to Middle Tennessee oh, yeah. State. And yeah. a lot of people had their brackets busted after that. A lot of people either had Michigan State winning or at least in the Final Four. Oh, yeah. So shout out to Middle Middle Tennessee State for that one. I and everyone else that I know had, you know, unfortunately Michigan State. So that's a huge letdown. I was actually, I was riding the Northern Iowa train for quite a while there. And I had them beating Texas A&M. And I don't know if you, you caught that game. But, yeah, they lost. How did they lose when they were up, I don't know, was it 13 with, like, 32 seconds left to go, and 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 here comes Texas A&M, and they tied up the game with 1.9, and they ended up losing in overtime because they couldn't inbound the ball. Something as simple as inbounding the ball, something people practice all the time, they couldn't do. And it, and you saw what LeBron James said that if he was on Northern Iowa, he would have quit basketball. I don't know if I'd go that far, but. Wow, what a devastating turn of events because Northern Iowa was looking like a real Cinderella. And unfortunately, fundamentals, like Dickie V always says, fundamentals will come back to haunt you. So that was a real shame. And, you know, one thing I'm really impressed with is the the level of play out of the ACC. Now, as Mo will be quick to tell you, I'm an ACC homer because of North Carolina. But, but this is the first time a single conference has ever had six of its squads reach the Sweet 16. That's 38% of the remaining field. That is amazing, especially when you figure that Louisville, who was one of the better squads in the country, wasn't even eligible for the tournament. So, I mean, you got a three-seed in Miami, a four-seed in Duke, you got a one in UNC, a six in Carolina, a one uh, with Virginia, a Midwest with Syracuse, who still shouldn't have been in the tournament, but is shocking the world. So, Mo, show my ACC some love, would you please? I really won't because um, you don't really, they don't really need the love. The ACC gets enough love as it is. Sure. Do you have an apology for Jim Beheim, Mike? Um, no, no apologies. Uh, I am glad because it is the only uh, 
New York team still in the tournament. And again, hey, you know what? They're playing with uh, house money. There's no pressure on them. They're a 10 seed. Still don't think they should have been in the tournament. But uh, you know what? Good for them. They're they're, they're knocking off the the, the the bigger teams, the bigger schools. Uh, I do think it ends today. I think the young Sabonis boy is uh, just a phenomenal all-around player. I think uh, he's going to kind of lay the hammer down. And But again... Would you be surprised? It's a 10 playing an 11. At the end of the day, you know, somebody's got to move on. So either one's going to be a Cinderella. But I, I think uh, Syracuse's run has been phenomenal. But I do, I, I reiterate, I do think it ends tonight against Gonzaga. Um, I think it's pretty funny. I, I remember in past brackets, I have I would have Gonzaga either going to the Final Four or the Elite Eight, and they, they always disappoint me. And this year could be the year as an 11 seed where they, where they sneak up and make it to the Elite Elite Eight, or maybe the Final Four. I mean, they have two near seven footers. You mentioned uh, Sabonis' kid there, and and they're long. They can rebound. They, they pound the glass very well, and they'll probably again they'll probably beat Syracuse. The problem is when they get to Iowa State or or Virginia, can they beat one of those teams? And we'll we'll see what happens. But I, I have a good feeling about Gonzaga this year. What I am surprised about too is all four number one seeds are still intact. I have Oregon losing tonight, but uh, usually you would have, not usually, but sometimes you would have a number one seed going down, surprising to maybe an eight or nine or four or 12 in the second round or something like that. But uh, all the number ones are still intact. Uh, pretty much the power conference teams are are, are, running the conf- are running the tournament. As I said, in, when this first jumped off, that you're not going to have too many darling sweethearts surprise you. I was hoping for a Seton Hall surprise. I didn't get it. Shout out to Isaiah Whitehead. Tried his best, but... That game, which is never close. Did he really try his best, though, Mo? Mo, did he really try his best? He was sucking wind so hard he had the oxygen tank with him. I mean, come on. I mean, the kid kid brought Seton Hall back to prominence. I mean, when's the last time they've made it to the tournament? It's been over a decade. I mean, give give him some props for that. Seton Hall, the moment looked too big for them. Yeah. They played a Gonzaga team that usually makes the tournament, and they were just completely outmatched. It's true. It's true. I'll, I'll give you that. I will give you that. And it, it's interesting because, you know, like I said, Duke, it seems to be a hit or miss. Uh, I didn't even really see them getting this far. But now that they are here, uh, I kind of see them moving on. You know, again, uh, led by my man, Brandon Ingram. I'm the president of the fan club. I uh, I do see them moving on to the next round. I, I mean, do you, do you see that or am I, you know, looking through with uh, beer goggles? Well, well, speaking of picks, uh, I do. I obviously I do have Duke beating Oregon tonight. Um, again, Bleacher Report: Don't trust the Pac-12. Oregon's made it this far. They're playing again. Uh, one of the, probably the best coach in NCAA history. One of the best. My Shusevsky's Duke team is gonna is gonna is gonna make it to the Elite Eight at the very least. I have Oklahoma beating Texas A&M. I have, as I spoke earlier, Gonzaga over Syracuse. I have Iowa State over Virginia. That's another number one seed going down. Notre Dame over Wisconsin. UNC over Indiana. Yes, Mike, I have UNC winning. Thank you. And my pick, Kansas over Maryland. Also, Villanova over Miami. Now, I don't know if you agree with those picks, Mike. Our brackets are pretty close percentage-wise in the tournament. You may not agree with that, but percentage is percentage. And uh, what, do, what do you have coming up as far as this weekend? Well, today, tomorrow, and this weekend, your picks. I agree with most of your picks. I don't agree that our percentages are close because I have 87%. You have 73 And my, if my math is correct, that's 14%. But uh, regardless, I do have Villanova beating Miami. I've been pretty impressed with Miami, actually. Uh, shout out to the U. Uh, I just don't think that their offense can score enough to keep up with Villanova. Now they do have a solid D, but I think, uh, think Nova is just going to be too much for them to handle. I think the 
game of uh, game of the day, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, led by Buddy Heald. I really like the way he's developed this year. Texas A&M's you know, pretty solid as well. They're just a lot more streaky than Oklahoma. Uh, Kansas and Maryland. Kansas, I just think they're too good right now. I just think uh, they got, you know, maybe this could be the year of destiny. A little Jayhawk uh, Carolina championship. And then that's... Say them right. Say them right. Kansas is winning. Go ahead and say them right. Um, I don't know about all that, but you, <laughs> we'll see, maybe. And then, like you already said, Duke's going to beat Oregon. Uh, Duke, yeah, moving on. Again, you can't really be surprised with Duke. or uh, You know, Oregon, I'm really not impressed with the way that they barely squeaked by the last two rounds, so I definitely think their run is uh, has come to a halt. Then looking at the games tomorrow, you continue to give no love to UVA. I don't know why they have, they play great defense, uh, Iowa state to four. I just, I like the way UVA can kind of, uh, shut down uh, the penetration and they, they, they make you kick the ball out and shoot those awkward threes. Uh, Notre Dame, Wisconsin going to be a great game. If you watched Wisconsin last week with that crazy fading, fade away from the three point line on the sideline beat buzzer beater. That was amazing. But I, I do see Notre Dame moving on. I mean, they shot 55% from the field against Stephen F. Austin. That is unheard of. So I like Notre Dame. Uh, you got to go with Gonzaga beating Syracuse. We spoke about that. And of course, North Carolina against Indiana. I think it'll be a close game. Uh, maybe eight points, give or take. I know the spread right now is only five and a half, but uh, Carolina likes to play with teams. They like to keep people in it to the half. They did that last week. It was 42-40, I believe, at halftime. And then once the once they came out in the second half, they put the D on. They clamped up. They actually started making some threes. So I think they'll do that. Uh, I, am imp- I am impressed with Indiana. Uh, I think they, I think they've got a nice club, but uh, I just, I just see Kansas North Carolina championship. I mean, that's uh, that's what my bracket reads. So uh, call me, call me crazy. Uh, I'm not gonna call you crazy, but I'm gonna ask you to be Miss Cleo for a minute. Um, <laughs> how far do you have Duke going? Because I know you're a big, you're a huge Brendan Ingram fan. So how Ooh. how far is he gonna carry that team in, in the tournament? You know, again, I. I love Brandon Ingram. I think I think he's a fantastic player. I think he's got a lot of room to grow. But I I'll be I'd be lying to you if I if I said I had I had Duke really going super far. I mean I'm actually I'm gonna take a look at my bracket because I want to be correct, especially when I beat you uh, in this. I don't want you to say hey hey you misspoke. But uh, I didn't. Okay, according to my bracket, I don't have them beating Oregon tonight. But, again, this was before I filled out, I saw any of the games. So, yes, I do have Oregon moving on, but I'm changing my tune. I'm going to go with Duke, okay? After, especially, because I didn't, I didn't watch a lot of Duke games this year. I did watch when they played Carolina, of course. But, uh, yeah, I see Duke moving on because Brandon Ingram is the real deal, and he will be the number one pick in the NBA draft come this June. I know you nah, don't. I know you don't agree. So, no, he's not going to be the number one pick in the draft again. Uh, I know you're a Ben Simmons hater. I understand that and everything, but the guy Ben Simmons. I mean, how can you argue against against his against his athleticism? Against what he's done in the game without being in the tournament. He's not in the tournament, so GMs and scouts are going to say. Well, we haven't seen Ben Simmons in in months play, but we we watched Brandon Ingram. So that may tilt people's people's assessment a little bit, but you got to look at what Brent, what Ben Simmons has done during the season with lackluster talent around him. I mean, think about it. The guy dishing out four assists the game to a bunch of nobodies. I mean, who, who else, who else does that? What, I mean, is, 14, what, what is four assists a game? What is four assists a game? You could give out four assists a game. 
I mean, not on a scrub, not a team full of scrubs. Oh come on! If you lead a guy to the basket, I don't care if if he's five foot four, he's gonna put it in. I mean, dude, you're giving this guy way too much, way too much props because he's six foot ten, because he can handle the ball. He can't shoot. His his shooting percentage was. 28% give or take. I mean, I get that he's big, but he's a point guard. And if he, if you look at the NBA, look at the NBA the way it is right now with the Russell Westbrooks of the world and the Steph Currys, the, the old uh, cliche of just give me a point guard that can dish the ball has kind of gone out the window. Yes, there are guys like Rajon Rondo who's still going to have 10, 15 assists a game, and those guys are needed. But they also score. You have to you have to score in this, this type of NBA. If Ben Simmons comes to the league and he's just mediocre, uh, you know, we're talking four assists. We're talking maybe he averages eight to ten points a game, one or two rebounds. That's not the guy that's going to lead your team to the promised land, especially if you are the Philadelphia 76ers, all the LA Lakers, because especially with the Lakers, that doesn't help them. Look at the point guard situation they have now. How is adding another guy to the fold that is not as good a score as what they already have in D'Angelo Russell and Jordan Clarkson going to help them? It's not. It might actually help Philly in the long run, because they have those big bodies, they have the guys that kind of clog the middle, they do need to spread the ball, so maybe, you know, and I'm, I'm going to say maybe he would make sense for them at one, but in the grand scheme of things, I like Ingram because of his all-around game, and because Philly, they don't have much, but they also don't have a constant scorer that's going to go out there every night and potentially put up 20, and that's what they need. Look, that's what every team needs, but to draft, to draft a guy who is, yes, he's big, but we're not the Philadelphia Eagles, we're the 76ers. You need somebody that is going to be an all-around player. And I just don't see that at this time in this guy's career. Obviously, you do. I, I Maybe you're looking at a different Ben Simmons. I don't know. But I, the thing about Ben Simmons is, and you said, well, he's not playing in the tournament. That's his choice, man. I know that LSU uh, isn't in the tournament, not even in the NIT, but he went to LSU. And for a guy to go... To college because he has to again we talked about that last week we don't agree with it but he dropped out of school last week so you're telling me now that it's okay to go to college uh finish some of your courses and we we've heard this year that he had some academic issues uh he was possibly flunking some classes so he leaves school before his calendar year even ends and is going to worry about his mba career which is fine but he didn't even finish his first year so why is it okay that he goes to school takes the education for granted and plays till he is basically knocked out of competition. How is that okay? And how does that set an example for a younger generation? That's just a bad look. Well, first of all, uh, kids, please stay in school. Yes. But, um, you know, that that's partially the NBA NCAA's fault for having this silly rule, this one-year, this one year, one-and-done thing going. If kids want to make the jump from high school to, to the NBA, to the pros, I believe they should, and that's probably what Ben Simmons probably would have done had the one-and-done rule not been in place. Now, let's walk it back a little bit, speaking on Ben Simmons. Okay, you have him, go, you know, being a bust in – with the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, who flourishes with the 76ers nowadays? I mean, Jalil Okafor was a good was a good choice for the 76ers, and what is, what is he doing right now? He's actually not playing. Injured. And the 76ers weren't good when he was on the court. So let's get past that. What if he winds up with the Phoenix Suns? The guy averages averaged a double-double, Ben Simmons, with LSU, 19 points, 11 boards. You think the Phoenix Suns wouldn't take this guy? They already have Drew Bledsoe. They already have Brendan Knight. They wouldn't need him to score. They wouldn't need him to shoot. If he can, if he can space the floor even more, pass the ball along with those two kind of kind of tweener point guard, two guards, 
that that could be lethal for Phoenix. They could have a great backcourt. They could have Ben Simmons and and the resurgence out there would be would be awesome. And you would see him flourish. I, I don't I don't like him with the Philadelphia Philip Seventy Sixers. I agree with you. Ish Smith is not a starting point guard in my opinion. They need a floor general, and Ben Simmons is is. Not that at six ten. I see him more playing maybe small forward, kind of maybe a tuner role. Like in NBA nowadays, you can't really pay attention to the generic positions we grew up on: point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. Because there aren't that many true centers in the game nowadays. You can have a passer at any position. So you get Ben Simmons. He's gonna he's gonna probably change the dynamic a little bit in Phoenix, right? I see him as a great fit there. Now, we, we'll probably argue about Ben Simmons versus Brandon Ingram until the cows come home all the way up until the June draft. But what do you feel about Buddy Heald? I mean, Oklahoma's probably going to be in the tournament for the long haul. I see them going to, to the Final Four, obviously. I feel like Buddy Heald, the longer he stays in the tournament, it helps his draft stock in June. What do you think? Absolutely. You know, this is a guy that is a four-year senior. You know, he's been around. Uh, he's gotten better, and that's the big thing. The guy now is a consistent scorer. He can handle the ball. He's got great handles. Uh, but for a two-guard, I worry because he is only 6'4". Uh, look, Dwayne Wade is not a huge dude, but he's bigger than that. Uh, Buddy, like I said, he does have that muscular physique, so he will be able to outmuscle people. But, you know, can he guard a James Harden who's, you know, 6'7", six, 6'8"? Six, that I don't know. And, you know, looking at the good folks at NBADraftExpress.com, right now they've got healed going to the Magic at uh, number 7. And, you know, again, this is all debating on how teams finish a season. And so, so what? So the Magic are going to take another Two guard with Victor Oladipo already there and Mario Hazonia already there. I just, I don't know. It's not, and you get to a point where it's how many years can you take best available? You know, it just, you have to take best fit. And I like Buddy Heal, but again, I feel like he's another guy that needs to be in the right system a la like Justice Winslow last year with Miami, although I feel like Miami hasn't necessarily used him correctly. But again, if this, if this guy can go to a team that needs a two guard, and, and to be honest with you, a lot of teams could use a, a, a complete all-around two-guard. I just don't think this is the type of guy that's going to be, you know, an all-star. He'll be a nice complimentary piece. He'll be a nice guy that, you know, again, in, in this lackluster draft that's coming up, uh, he will be a top-ten pick, hands down. But, uh, you know, but this draft is going to be really predominantly full of European players that have a lot of uh, upside after, especially after a guy like Christoph Porzingis came out uh, last year and kind of shocked the world. So people are looking for that next big thing people haven't necessarily seen. And it's nothing against four-year seniors. Uh, like, you know, we talked about Shane Battier. These guys stuck around, got their education, got better. Which is, you know, to me, is I'd almost rather stay in school an extra year, get better, than go to the NBA and find myself as the uh, 10th or 11th man and never see the court or have to go play in the D-League. Because what does that really do for you? I mean, I believe it's Russ Smith right now who used to be with Louisville. He scored something like 54 points the other night in a D-League game. But will he ever come up for the Memphis Grizzlies and will he ever make an actual I don't know, an imprint for that team. It's hard to say. I would rather stay in school. But, you know, again, he, he's going to be, he did his time. He, he's come a long way. Uh, it, it'll be fun to see where these guys land. I just hope for their sake. It's just, man, it's just not a team that just doesn't know how to use them. Hopefully he doesn't wind up in a dumpster fire like the Sacramento Kings. Just please know. I mean, yeah. that team, for some reason, that team has so much talent, but they just can't put it together on the court. And you see a lot of issues that had to do with non-basketball type type of matters. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins, from DeMarcus Cousins bumping a, a MSG security guard to Rajon Rondo and his antics, we'll talk about later. 
It's just, please, if, if Buddy Hill, if he goes to the right team, just like Ben Simmons, just like Brandon Ingram, these players can all can all be all-stars at one point. I just feel like, again, Ben Simmons just has the most to offer because he's just so different, and that, that's what I'm drawn to. That he's got the size, of, he's got the size of a, of a big, but then he's got the talent of, of a small guard. So you got to weigh that. Again, I know we'll argue about this, and we'll see where they turn out. But uh, moving on, uh, Mike actually probably made fun of me for attending a Brooklyn Nets game, calling them a college team, but the experience was actually a good experience. I mean, uh, my cousin actually, my cousin Xavier, he's uh, four years old, got his first experience at attending a basketball game, which takes me back to when I had my first experience watching the Knicks and the Pacers play, got to see Reggie Miller. But uh, he had a great time. He had some food. He was taught. He was chatted up with the ladies behind us in row eight. Shout out to those ladies in row eight who was giving us uh, some attention. But uh, he, he was explaining to them at four years old how he was enjoying his experience and how he was there to see the Brooklyn Nets. So that was a great thing to see. On the court, I got to see Sean Kilpatrick, who my aunt's husband is familiar with. Sean Kilpatrick grew up in Yonkers. He had a had a pretty good career at Cincinnati. He went undrafted. Team didn't pick him up. But he signed with the Nets on a 10-day deal at the end of February, and then they extended his contract to a multi-year deal in March, a week before that game that we attended. He had a career-high 27 points, and he, he lit it up. Unfortunately, the Nets didn't win the game. Charlotte Hornets had the better team, obviously. It wasn't a blow as I expected it to be. Charlotte uh, pretty much controlled the game, but it got close at certain points. And even at the end, we I mean, our section was yelling defense, the Brooklyn Brigade up at the top row yelling. So uh, it was a great experience. One thing that kept popping in my head is when I saw Jeremy Lin kind of go off because he had a great game. And I'm thinking, why couldn't the Knicks have kept him as a six-man? And then I remember, oh, that's right, because uh, we have a jealous superstar on our team, Carmel <laughs> Anthony. So apparently Melo felt the need to say something, which means he probably had uh, some tensions with Lynn as Lynn's popularity flustered and, and just went up. And and he was, at the time, I remember, he was actually injured. So Lynn came in and Melo was out and people were all over Lynn and Melo wasn't getting the attention as a star. And I understand, Melo, you are the star of the team, but you have to be able to share the spotlight. I know Lynn went off over to Houston, didn't have a good stay there. The Lakers misused him. He winds up in Charlotte. Charlotte's using him pretty well. The head coach, Steve Clifford, is is fitting him into his system. He doesn't have to be the the starting point guard. They have Kemba Walker for that role. Lynn comes in the game. He scores. He slashes. He shoots pretty well. Again, he's not a superstar. He's not an all-star, but he's a good fit for a team that needs a a consistent, reliable six-man off the bench. I don't know about you, Mike, but I, I miss Lynn Sanity in New York. It was fleeting. I mean, you know, he did his thing in New York because Carmelo was hurt and nobody knew of Jeremy Lin. There was no Lin sanity. And that's when Jeremy Lin plays best. I mean, he took the the big contract, went to Houston, and it didn't work because he's not a starter. He's not a guy that's going to consistently score 20 points a game. I mean, it's just not. He went to L.A. and he was miserable. And he found himself not even playing towards the end of last season. So he goes goes to Charlotte. There's no pressure. He plays behind Kemba Walker. And he does his thing. And he does his hair. And he does great. And you know what? That that's what Jeremy Lin's all about. Comes off the bench when you least expect it, and and he can help you know a pretty good team you know win some games. Again, Charlotte's a funny team. They they may go far in this Eastern Conference. Uh, you know anything seems to be up for grabs, especially with you know 
Never knowing what's happening from one day to the next with Cleveland. But, yeah, it's nice to see, you know, Jeremy Lin represent, you know, the Knicks gave him a shot back when he was, you know, nobody. So it's cool. But, again, it's all about players being in the right environment. Clifford knows how to use them. There's, there's little to no pressure in Charlotte. So, you know, he'll succeed. You know, hopefully uh, a lot of guys can get that opportunity. But uh, only time will tell, especially the guys, you know, like a Buddy Heald in the draft. But, you know, I'm glad, especially, you know, for your uh, for your nephew, Xavier. That, that's pretty cool that, you know, you get to see uh, get to see a game through a child's eyes. You know, that's that's the that's the best thing in the world when they can kind of, you know, it doesn't even care who's who's playing, who wins. Just uh, just a wonderful experience to uh, to share with somebody. Absolutely. And uh, one other thing about uh, attending a game, which is so different than watching it from your sofa or your bed, is I was about 50 feet away from Patrick Ewing, and he was a giant. Yeah. Like, the dude was walking back into the tunnel, and our seats were kind of close to it, and he was walking back, and I was thinking, wow, this dude is huge. Can you imagine banging bodies with this guy under the hoop? And, you know, I know I'm not six feet tall, but even if I was 6'5", I mean, he was still pretty much tower over me, and the guy... The guy's an assistant coach with the Hornets, and he, he's, I, I would assume that maybe he'll get a head coaching opportunity at some time. Uh, people often say great players don't make good head coaches, but we'll see if he moves up the ranks and actually gets a job. I mean, he's he's a Nick icon, so I, you got to acknowledge him, and it was good to see him actually in person at the game. That's true. We love you, Pat. I had your shoes back in the day. The... Uh... Or they the white the the nick colors oh man those are sweet but uh we're gonna move on and be right back with open mic open mic and we've got some breaking news out of the world of the nfl a one-time possible superstar has officially made career suicide uh I'm going to throw it to Mo because I don't understand why he signed with them. Mo, just tell us what happened. Well, according to Adam Schefter, RG3 will sign a two-year deal with the Cleveland Browns. Why? His career. Yeah, throwing away his career for another two years. I don't get the move simply because the Cleveland Browns don't have much. A lot of their talent went during free agency to different teams. They do have Joe Thomas, who's a talented blindside tackle to protect him. But other than that, there's nothing there. So the Cleveland Browns are going to really have to figure out what they're going to do with their draft picks. Uh, People have often said that, actually Schefter said, that the Cleveland Browns could still draft the quarterback with the number two overall pick, which I think is a bad idea because if you think about it, RG3 has already been through a situation where he was drafted to a team, the Washington Redskins, and they drafted Kirk Cousins in the fourth round. So he had to kind of battle or kind of look over his shoulder at every point to see if Kirk Cousins would take his position, and he did. Now, he signs with Cleveland. Now, let's say Cleveland takes Carson Wentz, who everyone believes is the best quarterback in the draft. You, you have to understand that Carson Wentz is going to be the future of that franchise. So RG3's stay is going to be pretty limited unless he just plays there for two years to, you know, attract another team to their free agency and get a, better, a bigger, better deal, better contract. But I don't, see, I don't see the fit. I see it, as Mike says, kind of like a career suicide here because you're going to a dumpster fire, a team that hasn't had success in so long. There's just so there's just this black cloud flying over, over their stadium. It's not a good look for RG3. But I feel like he may have signed this deal because he feels like this is his best chance to start. I don't typically agree with that, again, because they do have the second overall pick. So let's say they do sign a quarterback. It could be a problem for him. He doesn't, I mean, can you think about this, him riding the bench again with the Cleveland Browns? Not a good look. But 
on on the opposite side, on a brighter note, I can play devil's advocate here and say, well, maybe he sees something in Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson developed Andy Dalton with the Cincinnati Bengals, and maybe he sees Hugh Jackson as a person that can develop his skills and give him the best position to be a, a good quarterback going forward, even if it's not with Cleveland. Because remember, he's still a young guy. He still has a lot of career in front of him. But he can damage himself with Cleveland if he has a poor showing with the Rounds. Yeah, it seems like every quarterback, and by the way, it's been 25 different starting quarterbacks since 1999. That That's a lot of starting quarterbacks. Every starting quarterback that is associated with Cleveland or once was with Cleveland pretty much never gets away from Cleveland career-wise. Uh, I don't understand this deal at all. I know he got $15 million. Obviously, he's going to go into the season as a starter. I get that Hugh Jackson can kind of work miracles with quarterbacks. He did a fine job with Andy Dalton. Oh, but man, Cleveland, really? What do you see there? Your your best target, Josh Gordon, still suspended. We don't know if he's ever going to play. Travis Benjamin went to the Chargers. You don't have a running game. I mean, Terrence West, I mean, who who is your running game? Gary Barnage is a fine tight end. Okay, so you got one target that you're going to throw to all the time. Their defense lost more parts. It's Cleveland. I mean, I just, I don't understand the allure. If you wanted to play so bad... Then I, I mean, yeah, Cleveland, they're gonna they're gonna give you the team. But what happens if he just gets destroyed? Yes, no one's gonna want him, and he'll be cut before that second year ever comes on that contract. And more than likely, this team will take Carson Wentz because I don't know, maybe it's the red hair. He just looks like a Cleveland Brown. I don't know. But this, we already went through this in Washington. There were reports that him and Kirk Cousins just hated one another, would not speak. Obviously, maybe he's matured. I'm not going to put it past anybody, but he's still 26. Who's Is this guy really want to mentor a quarterback that he knows in two years is going to take his job? I highly doubt it. He's going to want to play his butt off, and as he should, and then hope he can get a contract with someone else. Because if once you draft Carson Wentz or anybody else at number two, that's it. You're done. You're going to get you're going to get one year at least, maybe two. You may not even get one, to be honest with you. If you look at the, the current crop of NFL quarterbacks, usually if a team is, you know, two and eight, two and nine, they're pulling that starting guy and they're putting the, the, the rookie in to at least get some reps and get a feel of the NFL. So this has just got, I don't see the upside for, for RG3 at all. There's so many other teams that he could have went to. There's so many other opportunities that he could have had to really make an impression and stick with that team. I mean, Denver, the Jets, even the Rams, there's, there were so many other better fits that this just seems like a, okay, I guess. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I hope, I hope for his sake, but I don't see it. The sad thing is, uh, the Los Angeles Rams head coach Jeff Fisher said that they had they had to at least consider RG three, and I would I would have liked RG three in Los Angeles with Todd Gurley at running back. Yeah, even they don't have the greatest wide receivers, but they have a great defense and a great running back, and that's a recipe to help a to help a quarterback who's trying to rehabilitate his career. I mean, that's that's the best kind of support system you can have a great defense and a running back. He should have maybe he should have you know considered the Jets. I know he had two meetings with the Jets and that didn't work out. The Jets still to this day don't have a quarterback, and they were interested in Josh McCown. They expressed interest in Josh McCown. Like really, Josh McCown is was the Browns' quarterback, and he kind of switched off with Johnny Manziel and, and the other quarterbacks in Cleveland. None of them worked out. But you're 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 investing in these stop stop got quarterbacks. Josh McCown and Ryan Fitzpatrick were going to be good for maybe two years, if that. 
and you let RG three walk out the door. I think I think the RG three Jets match could have could have worked out, but obviously they didn't think so. I, I like Chan Gailey's uh, system with uh, mobile quarterbacks, but RG three chose to go to Cleveland. I don't see it, uh, but there there's some allure there for him. Speaking of Cleveland, though, uh, another team in Cleveland making headlines uh, for different reasons. LeBron James, uh, well, for, for starters, he unfollowed Cleveland Cavaliers' uh, Twitter Twitter handle and, and their Instagram to kind of prepare for the playoffs. He said he wants to get basically get his mind right for the postseason. I say, hey, just stay off Twitter. Uh, Melo kind of echoed those statements, and I quote, it's more getting off of Twitter. You know what I mean? It's always something that they blow up. Him unfollowing the organization, him shutting down his, his Twitter down, it's always something over there along those lines. Now, LeBron James has been making headlines, you know, for the last couple of weeks and what he's doing and his, you know, he's in Miami working out with D-Wade. He's saying, you know, talking about mistakes and past happenings. And obviously in the last podcast episode, I said he's basically bored. And then he added to this, and uh, he spoke to reporters, and he basically threw out the idea of forming a super team. I don't know how this is going to happen, but basically he was basically talking about his brotherhood, who his friends, his best friends, Carmelo Anthony, CP3, and and D Wade joining joining him somewhere, maybe on the Cleveland Cavaliers, maybe them congregating on another team. Again, I don't see that happening. Melo said he doesn't see it happening. It's it's a big salary cap issue. We talk about big threes. You're not going to have a big four on the same team. What I can see happening is Melo waving his no-trade clause and joining LeBron in Cleveland. And maybe CP3, if 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 the Clippers uh, just don't, re- you know, don't resign him. But I think the Clippers will do everything they can to keep CP3 in L.A. If you remember, CP3 was supposed to go to the Lakers that 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 got nixed by David Stern. He wound up with the Clippers. Now again, I I see a trio: Melo, LeBron James, and Chris Paul forming in Cleveland as a possibility. But LeBron throwing this out—that's kind of disrespectful. You're on a team, didn't you? Forget you have Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. How does that make them feel that you're talking, you're fantasizing about? Oh, I want to play with my friends, my best friends at some point in their careers. And you have a team now. That's that's the number one seed in the East. You can win a title and you're and you're over here fantasizing about years down the line. I mean, it's just not a good look. I mean, Cleveland's chemistry is obviously broken to me. There's something wrong there. I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's gotta be something going on in the locker room that's making LeBron do all these weird things on social media and say all these outlandish things that he shouldn't be saying. Now, again, we we talk about players being honest on the mic and not being fake. And then LeBron gives his honest opinion of what how he's feeling, what he feels. But he kind of went too far to kind of throw this in the face of his current teammates. I mean, this is not going to go well. I mean, Kyrie Irving's already had ill feelings and Kevin Love feeling out, you know, like the outcast in the group. And this just doesn't make it any better. And I think LeBron's actually doing this because of how he left Cleveland the first time with Dan Gilbert. I think he's just kind of throwing his weight around saying, I can say what I want to say because they did me wrong in the first place. I don't know about you, Mike. I just think this is weak. I mean, people talk about Alex Rodriguez and how much he loves himself. But Alex Rodriguez has never thrown his teammates under the bus. And this whole LeBron James thing, like you said, man, if I'm if I'm Kyrie Irving, win, lose, or draw, I, I want out of Cleveland. Or, or, I want Le- or I want LeBron gone because how can you go on, on the court with this guy and trust him? I mean, if you do anything wrong, you say anything off color, he's going he's gonna to call you out by – by saying what he wants he wants you gone he wants his boys like 
dude, this isn't a fantasy league. This is this is real life. And how you can just say like, oh yeah, dude, I would love to have uh, all these all those other guys on my team as well. But okay, let's look at the contracts. I I mean, there's there's no way the Clippers are gonna let Chris Paul go. So the only real option, and maybe they know something I don't know, is that the Clippers do have pieces to trade. I mean, we do know that they could get rid of a guy like Blake Griffin and get some things. So the only way they could is if they start trading for those pieces. But there's come on, there's there's just there's no possibility that this is gonna happen. This guy's sending out cryptic tweets. He's meeting with Dwayne Wade uh, half times of the games. He's not going to his media uh, ob- obligations after games like. What do, you, what do you want? This, again, you wanted to go to Cleveland. You wanted to leave Miami. So, so what? What are, you, what are you trying to get out of this? I, like, okay, if you made a mistake, just own up to it, dude. But you can't have those three other stars playing on your team, at least not right now. Carmelo's got to opt out. CP3, not going to leave there. And, and come on, just like, I just don't understand how selfish can one person be when this is what he wanted. He got what he wanted, and now he's – he wants to go back and redo it come on man just just play ball you know what play ball it just goes back to the thing with carmelo too and when carmelo anthony says that the situation in cleveland is comical you know there's something wrong in cleveland absolutely and lebron to me he comes off like the unhappy boyfriend relationship (laughs) that that wants to go back to what he had that old flame like he is on facebook and he's just like I miss Tiffany. I wonder what <laughs> Tiffany's doing. I mean, it would be great if me and Tiffany could, you know, just have dinner together. I mean, LeBron, what are you doing? Like, yeah. Stay faithful to what you have. You have something going there, and it's not like it's a bad situation. They are, again, they're the number one seed. They're projected to face either the San Antonio Spurs or the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals. Why are you talking about five, maybe three, four, five years down the line with, with your boys? Stick with what you got. And deal with that, and then if you want to explore the decisions in the offseason, then you do that. But uh, speaking of moving pieces around and point guards and shifting, uh, we also spoke about Melo, and there are reports saying that the Knicks may be interested in Rajon Rondo. Uh, And also, Phil Jackson's actually also a big fan of another, uh, I guess you could call him a guard slash three, and Evan Turner. He's He's a big fan of Evan Turner over in Boston. So one of these players could wind up joining the Knicks in the offseason. Now, I have my preference. Mike has his. If I had to choose between one or the other, I'm taking Evan Turner. Uh, I don't know about Mike, but he may disagree with me because uh, he spoke about Rajon Rondo very glowingly early in this podcast. So there, here's the floor, Mike. Yeah, you. So you want Evan Turner, who is basically a mixture of Aaron Afalo and Derek Williams, who we already have, who... If they don't opt out of their contracts, we are going to be stuck for $12.5 million next year with two guys who can't consistently score and play no defense. You want another guy like that on the team because we don't have enough already. He's he's only making $3.4 million. He's going to want a whole lot of money. So you're going to be willing to give this guy $50, $60 million for a guy that, again, is not consistent and, and you want to not go after a guy like Rondo, a point guard that can dish out 15 assists a game, finally, finally get us what we haven't had since, oh my, Charlie Ward might have been the best point guard we've had in the past 20 years. That's how bad things are in New York. So I just, I don't understand where Phil's coming from. Uh, I didn't think this one's coming out of left field, but if they have the opportunity to get Rondo and don't, 
I, I got to throw my hands up in the air because I don't understand what a guy like Evan Turner is going to do when you went out and got a follow and Derek Williams, who are basically the same player. And again, if they don't opt out, which a follow may because he thinks he can get one more big contract. Derek Williams, if he opts out, he's crazy because nobody's going to pay him what the Knicks are paying him this year. It's just it's a circle of being inept. It's just it's just one after the other. We're bringing one dude in, one leaves. They're the same player. Nobody gets better, and we deal with the same thing. But you have your reasons. I have mine. I uh, it's just I, I I'm a little nauseous. I'll be honest with you. First of all, Mike. First of all, Evan Turner can play three positions on the court. Okay, that's number one. Number two, when he did start, he averaged thirteen point six boards and four assists. When he did start at a small forward position, he wasn't even the point guard. It was a small forward with the Philadelphia 76ers again, a dumpster fire of a franchise. Can you imagine if he gets within a good offense under a good head coach, what he can do as a point guard? Another thing is with Rondo, do you want to add a knucklehead? You have Mel there. You're gonna add Rondo, really? Like Rondo, he has the production. But again, I cannot trust him as far as doing silly things. He had he had the incident with the referee. He's not inbounding passes. He has he has his, all these little quirks and hangups with his personality that just rubbed me the wrong way. And one thing about basketball is you have to have chemistry. You can have all the ta- you can have all the talent in the world, but you don't have chemistry between your five guys on the court. It's just not going to work. Evan Turner meshes well with his teammates. You see him doing well with Boston when he's in the lineup. They switch him in. They switch him out. Different again, different positions, three different spots on the court, and he measures well with virtually anyone on the court. Rondo, you have to, you have to kind of micromanage him, but you can't. You gotta micromanage him as far as his mentality and let him kind of freelance. You know, when he's on the court, I know he spoke out against playing within the triangle. Now he says he can be good at basically anything. I don't know. I don't trust that. The other thing is Rondo shoots. He, I think he believe right now this season he's shooting fifty seven percent from the free throw line. So you're going to have a hacker Rondo situation. He's never shot above 65% from the line. So this is a guy you can't even really trust in the final minutes of the game because they're going to foul and put him on the line. No, that's fine. So what good is he? That's fine. I understand that point, but I, but but the hacker shack will will hopefully be outlawed this summer. So that's one thing we won't have to worry about. They will give it. They will call uh you know a, flag, a flagrant intentional foul, and obviously after two of those you're gone. So let's hope that gets implemented. But the Knicks need to decide once and for all: Are they going to win now or are they going to win in two or three years so if it's in two or three years Carmelo's got to go you just got to say to Carmelo look we're not planning on winning next year we're, we're saving our money for the summer of, of West of Russell Westbrook who says that he would love to play in a big city like New York and we're going to put him with Porzingis and we're moving on and we're looking towards the future if you if you want to win today you got to go with Rondo I mean, you got to go with Rondo because he's 30, because he, yes, he's a knucklehead, but he's a pretty good knucklehead point guard. And if you're, if you're going to keep Carmelo and you want to keep him happy and shut him up, you have to give him something that at least he feels is a legitimate all-star caliber player. He doesn't, he doesn't have that around him. I mean, there's no other all-stars on this team. There's nobody even close. Second best player is Porzingis and he's a rookie. So what does that say about the people around him? It doesn't say very much. 
So, so we're, this is what we're doing right now. We're appeasing Carmelo Anthony. This is this is the name of the game. Well, that now. that's Carmelo what happy. that's what Phil Jackson knew what he was getting himself into when he signed him for a max deal. You gave him a five year deal. You gave him the max money. You knew you had to keep this guy happy. What what's the point of signing him and him being miserable for five years and you wasting all that cash? Phil knew what he was doing. So you ha- and he did. He went out and tried to get pieces this year, but they're not the right pieces. They're they're complimentary guys. And and Carmelo unfortunately is not at the stage of his career anymore where he can carry a team. You know, he's not not the guy he was in Denver. He it, it's just it's the flat out way it is. He's just not. So again, you have to put better people around him. Rondo is is a is a lot better than Calderon, a lot better than Jerry and Grant. You have to give him something to work with. And again, if it'll shut him up and he can focus on basketball and not Facebook and Twitter and yelling at people in the stands, I'm all for it. You know, give it a whirl. But bringing in a guy like Turner, it's not. That's going to keep him quiet. That's going to make him happy. That's going to make this team a, a potential winner. Uh, I, I don't see it. Listen, I'm the, I wouldn't be in the business of making Carmelo Anthony. I would be in the business of getting W's, and I think Evan Turner would deliver a lot more W's in, in the bigger picture than Rondo. And think about it. Rondo has to have the ball in his hands. Carmelo also has to have the ball in his hands. So how is that going to work out with those two? Evan Turner could play better off the ball than Rondo can, in my opinion. So I think it just it just meshes better for me. Again, we'll have our differences of opinions. It Neither player may wind up on the Knicks. They may wind up with a, with a better option. I know you like Mike Conley also from the Grizzlies. So, we'll, I mean, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, stay, uh, moving on to the Western Conference, Anthony Davis was shut down again this season. He's never played more than 68 games in a season. Uh, he's he's going to have surgery on a torn labrum, and he's got tendonitis in his left knee, which he had problems with in 2013, I believe. So my question is, is, is Anthony Davis uh, injury-prone injury uh, liability, or is he still the next best thing? I know Stephen Curry is probably taking over that mantle behind by LeBron James as, as that great player, but uh, Anthony Davis was in that conversation at one point. At this point, I have a squinty eye at him. You know, he's, he's missing a lot of games. He's getting shut down at the end of seasons. So I would be worried if I were the Pelicans to have this as your star centerpiece player. Yeah, yeah, he came a long way since his one year at Kentucky where he was just a defensive guy. He's definitely added that offensive game, but man, he just can't seem to stay healthy. And you see that with these big guys, man, their bodies just take a, a constant pounding. So he could, how many guys have been, have been great, been highly touted and unfortunately can't be, can't stay healthy. I mean, you know, Bill Walton was probably one of the greatest collegiate basketball players of all time and he yes he won a title with portland and that was pretty much it the guy couldn't stay healthy so this isn't this isn't anything new uh this is going to continue for as long as there's basketball because of the pounding that these guys really put themselves through i hope for his sake because he's uh he's a great uh, great player to watch and he's a lot of fun and you know it seems like especially last year he made his teammates around him better uh but unfortunately this year the pelicans are back and you know just a miserable club so you got to be careful you gotta unfortunately it, this could be another uh you know amari stottlemyre situation where you gotta limit his minutes you gotta you gotta watch him at every every turn and that's just not the type of guy unfortunately that you're gonna be able to uh hinge everything on for your franchise because at any minute he could go down i mean this is what people worried about with steph curry when he first came out his ankles nobody ever thought that he would that he could put it together and and even when curry hurt his ankle this year people were like uh-oh 
there it is. It's gone. The magic's gone. He's never going to be the same. So it can change, you know, at the drop of a hat. It can really, it could all be over. So if you're in New Orleans, you've got to brace yourself for the for the worst, but hope for the best. So, you know, we'll see what happens after this uh, after this surgery. Obviously, he's not going to play in the Olympics this year, which which is obviously smart uh, for, you know, for the long-term health of this guy. But, man, what a shame. Uh, God, you get this type of injury, especially when it's in your legs, and you just you may never be the type of player that, you know, that you, you were saddled with all that talent. I mean, I would look at the, the New Orleans Pelicans physicians. I mean, Tariq Evans can't stay healthy. Drew Holiday seems to have an injury. I mean, he's healthy this year, but he seems to have an injury issue with his leg, less leg stress fractures every year. I mean, they've limited his minutes, but he's playing heavy minutes now because of all the injuries that have been going on. Eric Gordon is out. Ryan Anderson was shut down. So I'm like, I'm thinking maybe we need to hire better team physicians or we need better diets or something. We need to change something because <laughs> Some it's not just Anthony Davis. This is a bunch of players just getting hurt with the Pelicans and they're not playing any games and they're talented. Yeah, and it's not like they've been around very long. I mean, these are guys that have been in the league, you know, at max, what, maybe six, seven years for a guy like Ryan Anderson, four or five for Tyreek. So, yeah, yeah, there's definitely something going on, you know, over-conditioning, under-conditioning. It's uh, something needs to be fixed. So, yeah, start at the top. Start getting rid of some trainers. Start getting rid of uh, whoever you can and, and, and see what's left over. Maybe pass out some muscle milk to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> strength there i mean come on but uh speaking of speaking of brands and muscle milk and, and big companies uh nike pretty much screwed up their pitch with uh stephen curry when they tried to get him uh back under the nike the umbrella but uh they lost him to under armor and here's why apparently the nike pitch team mispronounced stephen curry's name as stefan whoa and they also had kevin durant's name on the powerpoint presentation <laughs> So that's two huge strikes. If if I'm a guy looking at this uh, PowerPoint presentation or listening to this pitch, now Mike, think about it. If we were being pitched to by a television cast and they they announced us as the Mickey and Morris show, how would you feel about that? Would you still sign with them with for the money, or would you look elsewhere as Stephen Curry did and sign some, somewhere else? Uh, I would want more money than they had originally offered me because <laughs> they can't even pronounce the name. But yeah, I mean, what the hell happened there? You're, you're Nike. You're the I don't know the, one of the biggest brands in the world. Billions and billions of dollars go into you know knowing what what makes athletes tick and how to make them better. And you screw up a guy's name. Like who is in charge of research and development? Who is in charge of, of the, of, of making that, that slideshow for, for, Stefan Curry. I mean, it's like, like, are you kidding me? I like, I Stefan. Are we talking like Family Matters back in the day? Steve Urkel, and then he was <laughs> Stefan Urkel. Like, this is insane. So I give, I give, uh, I give Stefan some credit there, you know, for doing his thing and sticking by his guns and saying, no, nah, no, nah, I'm gonna stay with Thunder Rummer because at least they know, you know, how to pronounce my name. Now the Kevin Durant thing on the on the slideshow, that's that's just erroneous. Like, it makes me think like, oh, so if I don't sign with you guys, you're gonna go. This was actually for. KD and not for me. So uh, horrible. Uh, that guy. You know, I don't want anybody. I don't want anybody to lose their job. But he, no, 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 he should. So that's just that's just bad business. And I know that now Nike did now uh, actually bring over the lead designer from Under Armour to work on on uh, their their brand. And I don't understand that because Under Armour's shoes are horrible. I mean, they are just bad. I mean, I love Nike. Uh, you know, I've always been a Nike fan. But I'm I'm not opposed to trying new things. But Ooh, some of them designs just i mean the cam newton things are okay because it's you know they're shiny but man those hoop shoes are kind of kind of fugly but you know stefan don't care he's getting paid 
Yeah, he's getting paid and he's getting some respect because obviously the Nike people didn't respect him enough to, to get things right with him. I mean, think about it. If ESPN came to us and had a picture of like, uh, you know, Jalen Jacoby and gave us <laughs> some weird name, I, I would look the other way too. And Dale Curry said it. He was like, once once they pronounced his name wrong, and he said, yeah, I mean, a lot of people do pronounce Stephen Curry's name the wrong way. But he was waiting for a correction and they didn't even correct it. So that's just kind of like a slap in the face. So I can kind of see why he chose. He basically chose respect over money because I'm sure Nike was probably going to offer a better deal. But for the respect purposes, this is a guy that you wanted under your umbrella to, to you know, feature your product, and you can't even get his name right. You don't even have the respect to remove, to remove another player's name off the PowerPoint, you know, because you were pitching it to him or you had a pitch for him. It's just kind of ridiculous. But um, good for Stephen Curry. Get that respect and that more money, more buckets. Wouldn't, yeah. you, wouldn't you have called him Steven before you called him Stefan? Yeah, again, I don't know what Nike was thinking. <laughs> you got to believe that the, the bright minds over there have to be smart enough to do their research on a person they already had. I mean, he was already under Nike. This is a guy you already had under your umbrella, and then you pronounce his name wrong. Yeah. Inexcusable. That's true. It's pretty weak. But speaking of uh, pitches, we're going to move on to baseball. Oh, good we're not one. Talk about oh. yeah. We're not going to we're not going to really talk about pitches, but uh, yeah. update on the Adam LaRoche story. We talked about this in the last episode, and basically, uh, Kenny Williams told Adam LaRoche to dial it back with bringing his kid around the uh, the players and the environment, and basically he chose to walk away. Now I'm not walking away from money, especially as a fringe player. You know, but Alan Roche chose family over baseball. He wanted to bring his kid to the clubhouse every day as he has been doing. But uh, Kenny Williams felt that it was it was a bad situation. I feel like some players in that clubhouse didn't like the idea of Alan Roche's kid around all the time, and that's why he spoke out on it. But uh, pitcher Chris Sale is actually vouching to support Alan Roche. Uh, Chris Dale is a, is a pretty good picture, even though he had a 3.41 ERA, but he had a career-high 274 strikeouts last year. Now, I don't know what the what the divide is in, you know, with the White Sox or how many players were in favor of LaRoche and how many players opposed and go with Kane Williams, but I would assume that not everyone is speaking out on their opinion. Obviously, Chris, Chris Dale is the more outspoken one offering his support. But I feel he just needs to let it go because Alan Roche has already stepped away from the game. He's already left the money on the table and said, you know, I'll, you know, I'll take this elsewhere. Obviously, he doesn't need the money. So Chris Sale, um, for him, he, he could just continue to worry about baseball. That's that's a lost situation. Again, I don't judge a person's parenting skills, but I wouldn't I wouldn't see the logic in bringing my kid around grown men spitting in the showers, naked, running around, saying, talking about all types of adult matter things. This kid's 14 years old. It's not the place for him. And again, Kenny Williams didn't say he had to stop bringing his kid, you know, around. Just dial it back a little. I, I believe he said maybe like 50%. Just, you know, just calm it down a little. Not every day. But um, again, some players are supporting him. I understand. It's a... You know, it's a fraternity. They're going to support their people. But I assume, again, there are players who, who are in the clubhouse who felt uncomfortable with this. Yeah, and there's been there's been some speculation this past week that uh, that this didn't come from any players. Uh, that, you know, because obviously nobody's going to step up and say, ah, no, I'm the guy that has a problem with it, especially right. if it wasn't a Chris Sale. And Chris Sale is the best player on the White Sox, hands down. Yeah, he's got a super friendly team deal, making $21 million through 2017. And after that, for two years, he's got a player options for 
12 and 13 million. And, you know, he's probably the second best left-handed pitcher in all of baseball behind Clayton Kershaw. But from everything that I hear, uh, if it wasn't that it came from a player, it was indeed that Kenny Williams wanted to implement this. And again, there's always ways of saying, no, it wasn't me, because again, you're trying to save face. But, you know, there's plenty of rules in baseball, and I, ha- I heard Eric Burns on the radio talking about it, that even when he played in Arizona, that there are rules that when a team loses, there's nobody allowed in the locker room. You can't bring your kids. You can't bring your wife. You know, the media barely gets in because guys are guys are bummed. Guys are pissed. There's going to be curse words. There's going to be things that aren't really suitable for anyone. And, you know, the locker room is supposed to be a sanctuary. People can kind of do what you want. Again, you're getting paid. They're going to kind of express themselves. So I understand that. It, you know, why should, it, why should there be anybody when you lose? And if you win, hey, everybody's happy. Everybody come on in. We'll talk. We'll eat. We'll have a great time. So, you know, I, 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 I just don't – everybody's they're both in the wrong they're both in the right but again at the end of the day you're an employee uh you need to kind of follow suit but he didn't want to do that so he left so i just don't know where this is going to end because again chris sales on a team-friendly deal although it's hard to imagine 21 million dollars being a team-friendly deal but it is when you're that good of a left-handed specialist so again will they trade him won't they trade him will this just go away be swept under the rug i don't think so because the white Sox aren't good enough for everybody to just forget about this because the first time that they go on a six seven game losing streak and everybody's going to say well chris sale's going to want out and i'm honestly surprised he hasn't said so yet because he's the type of guy who's young enough that you can get a whole lot in return for him i mean if you wanted to trade him to the cubs you could probably pull jorge soler javier baez Kyle Schwarber. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of young talent out there that you could get in return. So, uh, you know, I'm interested to see. I don't know. Uh, I don't know exactly where this is going to end, but uh, let's just put it to bed. You know, one way or the other, either trade this guy or everybody kiss and make up because, again, the season hasn't even started yet and you've got a division in your locker room. That's not a good sign, especially when you're in a tough AL Central division. Like, really, do you see this actually, you know, destroying the team's chemistry, this Adam LaRoche thing actually you know, leaking into the season and their first losing streak, they're going to say, well, if this didn't happen with Alan Roche, our chemistry would be a lot better. Again, I'm, I'm just going to take the quote from Frozen. Just let it go. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's the same thing we've been telling LeBron, let it go, and it hasn't worked. And they're winning, so that's the problem. The White Sox are are not going to win very many games, you know. They may win 70, 75, uh, and when you play 162, do the math, that's not so good. So, uh, yeah, I don't see see anybody letting it go. Again, winning solves most problems, unless you're LeBron James. So, uh, yeah, let's – hey, I love a good trade in baseball, so let's uh, let's kick the tires and light the fires, as they say. But, uh, you know, we'll stick in baseball. I want to talk real quick about the Philadelphia Phillies and – that's a first. No one said that in a long time. But they have a really solid young third baseman named Michael Franco. Uh, this kid – He's the real deal, okay? If anybody's seen him, uh, the rebuilding project in Philly may not last much longer. This guy's got seven dingers already. He's the third baseman of the future. Uh, this 2015 Philly team has some has some studs. Aaron Nola, pitcher, young pitcher, going to be a really good arm. He's you know probably going to be the opening day starter. But last year, this kid Franco, he was only up for about half of the season, batted 280 with 14 homers and 50 RBIs in 80 games. 80 games, that's half. So, you know, give him another 50, 100 ribbies. Give him 28 homers. Keep that average around 290. That's an all-star third baseman. So the Phillies do the right thing, and they they surround this guy with other young prospects. Uh, they're they're going to be okay because the you know the NL East. It's got the Mets. Yeah, great pitching, hitting. Meh. They got the Washington Nationals. Good pitching, hitting. 
meh, you know, it's it's okay. Obviously, Bryce Harper. And then you look at other teams like the Marlins, you know, kind of wading in the waters. Uh, they can definitely, there could be some moves. The Atlanta Braves, you know, we, we talked about them a little while ago. Eh, maybe like two or three more seasons. So, who knows? Who knows? It may Things may turn around for the Phillies fans because the Lord knows you need it between the Sixers and the Eagles. Whew, some rough times in Philly. It really is, boy. So, so real quick, 15 hits, seven home runs in spring training. Do you, do you suggest that people pick him up in their fantasy team? Is that a fantasy? Is he a fantasy option? Oh, right absolutely. Now? I tried. I tried, and I failed miserably because he went a lot higher than I had anticipated. I saw him going maybe around like the seventh round because again, it's only his second year. It's really only going to be his first full season in the major leagues. You don't want to. I personally wouldn't want to spend a top five first round first. Uh, five rounds on a guy like who's kind of an unknown but again if you can steal him in the sixth seventh round which was what i was hoping for oh absolutely i mean this guy very well should hit 20 home runs should drive in close to 100 i mean it'll be it'll be given give and take on that philly team he may not get many people on to drive in 100 runs so you may be looking at more like 75 80 rbis but with that average and that high on base percentage yeah he's uh he's the real deal especially at a weak third base position i mean after arenado machado uh you know you obviously you got chris bryant it really goes downhill i mean you got steady guys like like uh you know in st louis you got a matt carpenter you got the guys like evan longoria but you know david wright david wright's not going to be playing much maybe 110 games this year i got stuck with uh daniel murphy who's actually not going to play third but he had enough games uh, last year with the mets so he's going to be playing second for the nationals but it is nice and fanny to fantasy to have that flexibility to play you know one one position or the other especially you know when you only have so many bench uh, spots or you don't have a dl spot in fantasy so uh yeah it, it'll be interesting um but if you can get your hands on a michael franco take him and uh, you may you may have to overspend you may have to go in the fifth round you may even have to go in the fourth if, if there's a run on third basements like there was in my league i just i just refuse to uh to kind of spend so high on a third baseman when the guys that i really wanted like an arenado you know they went and obviously in the first round well, there you go. There's your MLB fantasy opinion from Mike. Your <laughs> weekly, your weekly opinion from him. You might want to listen to this guy. He knows his baseball. But uh, going from, we gave you the good news, and now we're gonna give you some bad news from MLB. The Dodgers, uh, their outfielder Andre Ethier, uh, fractured his right tibia after fouling a ball off his shin last Friday. Uh, the the Dodgers have endured a lot of injuries before the season started, and we spoke about Brett Anderson in a previous podcast episode. My bowl singer has an oblique muscle injury, so um, is this more trouble for Dodgerland? Well, it's not good. I mean, it's funny because last year this time people were saying, ah, oh, the Dodgers need to trade Ethier. He still owed like $88 million. That was his initial deal. I think it was like 53 uh, But again, this guy came to play last year, man. He batted 294, 14 homers, 53 RBIs, only 395 at-bats. That's, that's really solid. And, you know, he played when in a time when the Dodgers needed him. I mean, Peterson struggled and, and Puig was hurt so he was really important he was a solid left-handed bat luckily the Dodgers have a couple guys that can replace him I mean they're not going to give the power uh, that Ethier had but you got Carl Crawford who again though uh, he could get bit by, uh, bit by a spider next week and he can miss the entire season because this guy just <laughs> gets hurt at every turn uh, you got Scott Van Slyke I like him he seems to hit left-handed pitching a lot better than he hits right-handed pitching and that's why he's always been a platoon type player but what this does unfortunately and or maybe fortunately depending on how you look at it this is just going to put a lot more pressure on jock peterson uh the second year center fielder again this guy had 21 home runs at the the, the first half of the season last year uh, was was on a pace to you know be rookie of the year and then just completely vanished 
uh, he was actually sent down to the minor leagues in the second half of the year. So, and that's when Ethier stepped up and he ended up playing a lot more center field. So again, it's going to push Peterson out into the fold and we'll see if he can handle it. Obviously the Dodgers need a big year from Puig. He did nothing last year. Uh, again, another guy who's kind of a knucklehead. So, uh, this just a lot of questions with this Dodger team. It's a lot of pressure on first year manager, Dave Roberts, uh, the pitching staff after Kershaw's a question mark, the hitting, I mean, I hope for Corey Sager's sake, uh, that he can really hold the job down at shortstop if he's healthy he's rookie of the year i say that because he's on my fantasy team but also because he is a really good talent and and if you know anything about shortstops it's a super weak position man it's just it's not like it used to be with the Derek jeters and the nomar garcia powers and a rods it's uh it's kind of punching judy hitters now and when you get a guy like a like a young sager who could be a tulowitzki minus all of the injury concerns you got to jump on him so you know there's a there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel for the dodgers but like we said last time they're in a tough division now san francisco's you know, they retooled Arizona, got your second best pitcher, Zach Grinke, who won 21 games last year. How you replace that? I don't know. So uh, only time will tell. But yeah, just another bad break for uh, for the Dodgers and Ethier, who, you know, was hoping to, uh, you know, add to what he did last season. But, you know, hopefully the Dodgers can stay in the race within the first two and a half, three months, and he'll come back and he'll give him a boost because, again, you know, he's a he's a clubhouse guy. He's a teammate. People like him. And, uh, you know, again, he's just a good guy in the game. I know that he's going to be out 10 to 14 weeks, which is which is a long period of time. Yeah. Uh, the Dodgers baseball president of operations, Andrew Friedman, said no one's going to feel sorry for them, and he's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, my only solution to him is uh, pass out the muscle milk because <laughs> your players sound a lot like the New Orleans Pelicans right now with these injuries. I mean, something's got to give. Uh, maybe the Dodgers, like you said, stick in the thick of things until midseason when he gets some players back. But, again, we'll see with Arizona Diamondbacks and the San Francisco Giants in their division. Well, if you remember last year, this happened to Mark Teixeira of the New York Yankees. I mean, th- he just fouled the ball off his off his leg. And if you've ever, man, anybody that's done this can tell you it's one of the worst pains in the world. I mean, you literally want to throw up. And unfortunately for Teixeira, they just thought it was a deep bone bruise. So the guy missed six weeks of action. And then they finally figured out when he couldn't run that, oh, you have a broken leg. So horrible job by the team to figure that out. So at least, and the same thing actually happened with, with the Ethier. They, they exam, they gave him the CT scan, they didn't figure anything out till the second one, and they said, oh yeah, your leg is broke, so a horrible injury, uh, you know, just happened to Jermaine Dye years ago with the Oakland A's when he did it against the Yankees in the playoffs, so it's becoming, it's kind of becoming like a little bit of a thing here, where this is why guys wear the braces, they wear, they wear the supports on the bottom of the leg, because it's pretty common to slap the ball off your leg so you know maybe this is a certain thing that guys need to take a precautionary measure and start wearing those things before it's too late because really you're gonna miss three months because you fouled the ball off your leg it seems like such a simple thing but it happens uh word to the wise kids uh wear your shin guards Absolutely. and drink muscle movement. <laughs> If you, do that. you can get a two-for-one price at uh, MikeAndMo.com. Right now, we're offering muscle milk and shin guards, two for the price of one. <laughs> and just remember, the podcast is free, so you get that for free with that. So Absolutely. You guys, you guys need to tune in and check that out. But we'll wrap it up, and we'll come back with some building momentum. It's now time for building momentum. Here we are with building momentum, but I'm going to start this segment and I should just call it Mo Money, Mo Buckets because I believe this is where A-Rod is going with this. But I'll explain. ESPN's Andrew Marchand reported, reported that A-Rod plans to retire after the 2017 season. He, he basically said he wants to become a dad. He'll be 41 in July. But 
New York, New York, the New York Daily News actually reported that A-Rod could keep playing past the 2017 season. And to me, in my opinion, it just seems like it could be about records and money. Because if you look at the record books, A-Rod has 687 home runs. He's fourth all-time. He's behind, obviously, Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, and Babe Ruth. Now, what, people, what many people probably are not aware of is that A-Rod gets a $6 million bonus after he passes each of those guys in the home run category. He actually gets $6 million for tying Barry Bonds and then $6 million more for passing him. Now, A-Rod had a year-long suspension. He came back, and he surprised a lot of folks. Played games. He had 86 RBIs, 86 runs scored, 486 slugging percentage, 33 home runs. So, obviously, those... Those accolades are within reach if he keeps up hitting these home runs. Now, A-Rod, obviously, probably someone tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, you know how much money you'd get if you pass these baseball icons. So there you go with the Mo Money, Mo Buckets type of thing going on here. Uh, welcome, A-Rod, to the Mo Money, Mo Buckets fraternity. <laughs> I'm sure he thought about it, but uh, he's betting on his talent. And again, 33 home runs after a year-long suspension. He's looking up at these guys, Bonds, Aaron, and Ruth, and saying, I could pass these guys make some more money, and spend time with my kids. So I got to give it to him on that one. You should start like a clothing line, Mo Money, Mo Buckets. We'll, des- we'll design you a logo. It'll be it'll be all the rage. But look, this guy this guy missed an entire year. Actually, he missed like a year and a half because of that hip injury. He is only 21 home runs behind Babe Ruth, okay? Then he's only 75 home runs behind Barry Bonds. And, and everybody's going to say, oh, and then God forbid, Barry Bonds and A-Rod, one and two all time or, you know, they were on steroids, and I, you know, I get to the point where it's like, okay, we get it. They're never going to get in the Hall of Fame, even though I am against that because, again, it's it, it's happened. I, how can you have the two guys that could possibly have the most home runs in the history of the game not be in the Hall of Fame? Look, if you want to put an asterisk on their plaque and say was on steroids, was possibly on steroids, however you want to word it, you still belong in the Hall of Fame. These guys were, it, I mean, they were allowed. Baseball knew what was going on the entire time. They wanted attendance. After the strike in 94, everybody was all about the home run because it brought the fans in. But if this guy hits 75 home runs in the next three years, he's going to, that's only 25 homers a year. Now, yes, that's why he's saying what he's saying. Will he hit 25 home runs this year? At 40, I don't know. But did I think he did 33 last year? Hell no. I mean, anybody that tells you yes, they'd be lying. So if he hits 25 this year and 25 next year, he's right there. So, again, I don't see him staying with the Yankees after his contract's over. But I could be wrong because the Yankees love, love some money. And if they say to A-Rod, we'll give you another $6 million bonus when you break uh, Barry Bonds' record, stay with us. Now, it doesn't work for the long haul because the Yankees got a lot of young talent coming up their farm system so you know again we need to kind of move on shuffle it out but we'll see it would just be interesting to see you know the whole dynamic and you know on the radio here in florida people were saying oh maybe a-rod goes to the marlins you know when his contract's up and his his hitting coach would be barry bonds now the only way that's going to happen is if the national league implements the designated hitter rule which has been discussed and wouldn't be a bad idea because uh, it's a young young club they could use that veteran leadership and obviously a-rod is from miami he's always talented to you but again we're, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves we need to see how many home runs a-rod hits this year a-rod hits next year and obviously if you're a Yankee fan like myself you want to see him hit as many home runs because we have a you know there's a lot of question marks of course but again if he stays healthy and does hit 25 30 home runs this team's gonna go far and who knows he may be a lot closer than you know the 75 home runs he needs to break the all-time record I mean if he gets there with Barry Bonds the baseball purists are gonna literally crap their pants but I say hey 
again, A-Rod, welcome to Mo Money, Mo Budget. Do your thing. Get paid. You know, play out the season. Play out until 2017. See how it goes. See how many home runs you hit. See how close you are to the record. Look at the money. What's the market going to be like? What are the teams going to offer you? And then make your decision. I mean, it's hard to look, you know, a year and a half, two years down the line and say what you're actually going to do. Obviously, A-Rod's thinking about his his future life and spending time with his kids. And that's understandable. He's put a lot of time into, into MLB. He's done his thing. He's gone through a lot of speculation, but he does have these home run records that some people will negate because of steroid use and all of that stuff. But he could be one of the, he could go down as one of the greatest and no one could take that away from him. Well, and the thing is, it's like he, A-Rod, we've heard the stories, you know, he's a narcissist, he's this, and they still say it on radio. And I'm just so sick about hearing about it because, again, you're, you're calling somebody out. You don't know this man. We don't know what makes him tick. We understand from his from his old teammates that he was a guy that wanted to be liked. He really, he maybe he tried too hard. But he doesn't need the money, okay? We know how much money he's making this season. We know what he's made in his career. For, for Pete's sake, he's dating the woman of the ex-wife of the man who inc- who invented Google, okay? He doesn't need any money. So let's just let's get past that. What he's trying to do, and he knows he's probably never gonna get in the in the Hall of Fame. He's just trying to play. He's playing the game he loves. He said yesterday he's he's lucky that the people of Major League Baseball have even let him back in this game. Long before they took any performance enhancing drugs, they didn't necessarily need them. You don't need PEDs, you don't need drugs to hit a baseball, okay? All it does is it makes you hit the baseball further. And yes, it might add to your overall home run uh totals, but it doesn't help you in the long run. Look at the guys that broke down over the years that got hurt. The Mark McGuire's who couldn't stay healthy. You know, the Roger Clemens. These guys that may have had long careers but missed good chunks of time in between because they continually hurt themselves. So at the end of the day, he would have been a Hall of Famer regardless. Unfortunately, his numbers are going to be tainted. But if the guy wants to play and he's effective and he's helping his team win, Yankees would not have made the playoffs last year. They made the playoffs because a guy like Erod performed up to the ability that he did. And the Yankees, remember, didn't want him last year. But needed him so thank you a-rod for doing that and anybody that thinks he's still a negative then don't watch him you know what don't watch him don't worry about it especially if he's not on your team but i guarantee if you ask many many if not all yankee fans do you do you want to see a-rod do you need to see a-rod they're gonna say yep yep we are i mean absolutely i mean if a-rod stays with the yankees and he's he's going for that record i i would kill to go to a game and watch him break the record and have a chance to have you know see that ball go up in the air and into the stands so i mean whatever you think about a-rod you gotta separate from the actual what he's doing on on the field and again sometimes you know these these um substances are used for recovering when they have injured also it's true that's the factor in and sometimes it doesn't have much of an effect on their performance but with you know their, their recovery process but um on from one person considering retirement to another retiree peyton manning and a questionable decision well the colts honor peyton manning built they're going to build a statue for him they're going to retire his jersey in indianapolis and obviously he brought the colts a lot of fanfare i mean that stadium was probably built on peyton manning's performances over the years but he's not going to retire a Colt. He's going to retire a Denver Bronco. Now, Mike, you're a big fan of Alex Rodriguez, and I know you're a huge fan of Peyton Manning as well. He probably wore his jersey when he won that Super Bowl in February. <laughs> but um, he's going to retire a Bronco. Are you know? How do you sit with that? Do you see that as a slap in the face to the Colts who are giving him all of these accolades? They're going to give him a statue, retire his jersey, but he's not going to retire with the franchise. Man, there must have been some bad blood when he left. Uh, Indianapolis. I mean, he must hate Jim Ursay with all the power in his body because, yeah, I mean, the guy played, what, 20 years? He played, I think it was 15 in Indy. And to not retire a Colt, 
wow. I mean, that's that's something else. So, again, we don't know the whole story. We uh, Obviously, he won one title there. He won one title in Denver. Obviously, he had a great uh, relationship with John Elway and the rest of the Denver Broncos. So, you know what? Hey, whatever makes him happy. Uh, obviously, Indianapolis Colts fans aren't going to agree with this move. But, you know, it's his legacy. People are always going to remember Peyton Manning being the Peyton Manning uh, with the Colts before they will the before they will the Broncos, no matter what jersey he's wearing in Canton, Ohio. I mean, I remember Peyton Manning working his way back into the NFL after he, I guess, felt like the Colts dumped him. I mean, he had the uh, he had multiple neck surgeries, and the Colts decided to do what they thought was best, and that's go with Andrew Luck, who's their future versus Peyton Manning, who they would probably only have for another three or four seasons. But I feel like Peyton worked hard to get back in the league to just show the Colts that he still had it. Yeah. And that's what he did. He wound up winning a Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos. He had some great seasons when he went to Denver. His first year there, I believe, he threw for over 50 touchdowns. So you have to consider that he worked his way up to prove the Colts wrong. And now the Colts are like, yeah, we'll honor you and we'll give you all this stuff. But in the back of his mind, he's probably like, well, you still abandoned me. You gave up on me. And I proved you wrong. Now, I accept all the stuff that you give me. I accept all you know the statue and retire my jersey. That's great. But I'm going to retire with a team that gave me a second chance and believed in me after I was down and out. So I don't I don't blame Peyton Manning for this. No, not at all. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's noble that he even will go back and accept it because you look at Brett Favre and how many years it took after he retired to finally go back to, to Lambeau this past year and have his number retired with Green Bay. I mean, he should have had his number retired the day he left, you know, left the NFL. And obviously he bounced around with the Jets and, and Minnesota. But, you know, again... Guys leave on bad terms, they hold grudges. So, you know, Peyton's, you know, doing the right thing for him. You know, he may hold a grudge to a certain extent, but he's still going to go back to Indy, be honored, which rightfully so. And I'm sure we'll see him back at the end of, in the NFL in some capacity. You know, he's just a good guy for the game, regardless of, you know, what you think may or may not have happened, you know, during his career while he was in college. You know, on the field, at least, he, he played the game the right way. Right, absolutely. And you briefly mentioned college there, but let's go back to the college experience. Shall we? The draft is coming up, yes. And uh, there's a lot of buzz behind, around Ohio State players, Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott as heavy partiers in their time at Ohio State. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of analysts are wondering if teams should stay away from these players within the top 10 of, of the draft. Now, I don't know if you've had the college experience, but from what I remember, college is all, all about partying. Uh, the problem is that uh, these players have been linked to the drug Molly. I don't know if you're if you're uh, acquainted with that, the white, the Molly. <laughs> but uh, they've been they've been accused, or people have said, well, maybe these players are experimenting with hardcore drugs. I mean, this is Molly, ecstasy, stuff like that. Now. My opinion is you go to college for the college experience. Again, kids, I am not condoning heavy drug use. But some kids go to college and they and they go to parties and these things do happen. Let's not be naive and act like they don't. Kids, you know, people under 21 have these fun parties and they do all sorts of things and it's an experience. And again, these players are under the microscope because they're college football players, but they're still kids. After all, they are still kids who may like to party. Now, Joey Bosa skipped a drug test because he said he was on Adderall, and that may have been an excuse to get out of testing positive for uh, worse drugs. We don't know. We'll see. But uh, 
I mean, Ezekiel Elliott hasn't been, hasn't failed the drug test, wasn't kicked out of school for drug use. It's, there's just rumors that he's just a heavy partier. And to me, as he goes to the NFL, he'll understand that his, you know, playing football is no longer a luxury. It's a job. And he has to, uh, you know, abide by the substance abuse policy and be mindful of these guidelines. So I think people are just twisting it way out of proportion. I mean, there's about a month until draft time, so all these rumors come out and all people overanalyze things and dig back into your past. And if you punched a kid in the face in the fifth grade at the lunchroom, they dig into that. What happened? You know, did you grow up with two parents in your household? And they go into a whole litany of things. But I think this is just kind of overblown. These are just college, college kids having fun. Again, no one, you know went to jail, no one was falling out of a window like Hidichi and Ole Miss. It's just people or college kids partying. Now, what say you, Mike, on this? It's tough. I mean, you never want to uh, lump an entire university or group of people in one in one kind of category, but you have to worry about, you know, how these people are going to act at the next level. I mean, obviously, it's fine to say, you know, they're kids, they're underage, they're this, they're that. But are they putting themselves in harm's way? I mean, if it, drugs are drugs. No matter what type of drug it is, it's going to change your personality. It's going to change your behavior. It's a substance. Uh, you know, you got to worry, God forbid, overdose. I mean, you, there's, just, there's so many stories of prominent athletes, people, just everyday life that unfortunately were just partying and took it too far. And again, when you're a professional athlete, you're setting an example for younger people. You're a professional athlete getting paid millions of dollars that a, that a, a team, an organization is investing in you, and you can and you screw up, you fail a drug test a la Josh Gordon, and you're suspended. Martavis Bryant, you're suspended. So you, you, set the, you set the team back years because they invested in you, and now you're not there to play, okay? You're not getting paid when you're suspended, but you've hurt because they could have had somebody else. So all you're doing is you're just, it's just negative. It's just bad vibes. It's bad karma. It's just, it's just not, it's not a positive way to live. And and if it was Adderall, air quotes, then, then it was Adderall. But again, uh, how long are you going to skip out on drug tests? This is why they do random drug tests. This is why Alex Rodriguez, who we just talked about, will continue to be randomly drug tested until the end of his playing career i mean it just it is what it is so again me personally i, I think joey bose is a hell of a linebacker the best linebacker in the country i think ezekiel Elliott will be a solid running back i would love to get him uh, a giant a jet uh a history of partying uh, you know these are things you got to find out what type of partying are we talking about how heavy i mean is it you got to these guys got to be open and honest because if you're gonna you're gonna invest a high draft pick you're gonna give them a whole lot of money and it's gonna change your organization and the way you do business yeah i'm i'm i'm, an, I'm employing you i want to know and i don't know if i would take that risk because if i do man it's gonna burn it's gonna sting if you if you really you do what you know the reports say because man you you set us back and and it's hard to say because you hate to pass up once in a lifetime talent if that's you know what the types of Joey Bosa can really live up to but yeah i don't know i wouldn't want to be in that situation but i guess you know if the if he's there at number 4 when the Dallas Cowboys pick he'll go to Dallas and you know something will happen well, I mean, again, the, it's all just speculation. There, there's no real hard, concrete evidence. So I'll just put that out there. Walter Football actually um, spoke about it and discussed it, and you know, I guess they felt that they, they did certain things about players and what they thought about Elliott and Bosa and their college lives. And there was, I mean, there's a story that Bosa had to move away from Elliott because of his partying tendencies and stuff like that. 
But again, I mean, this is why you have the vetting process, um, the combine, where you can interview players and sit down and really talk about what they, what their college experience was like. I know Elliot's interviews didn't impress scouts, but um, I, I'm not sure if it set up any, you know, hard red flags. We should just stay away from this guy. I don't think those rumors will will set them back and push them down to the second round. Both these players I see going in at least the top 15, top 20, the latest. Again, they're 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 specimens. They're great at their position. They're at the top of their draft class. Take a chance, unless unless there's a huge red flag that says you shouldn't draft them, and they could be repeat offenders of the substance abuse policy. Because I mean, we see a lot of these players, NFL players, getting busted with the substance abuse policy and having to serve suspensions. You have Josh Gordon. I mean, we spoke about Martavis Bryant last episode, and that may scare teams away. But if you're a team that really needs a running back or a pass rusher and you're like, this guy can really help us and there's no hardcore evidence that these players could be a detriment, you know, to their professional careers, their, their partying tendencies, then you take the chance and you and you draft them. Yeah. But other than that, this is, again, this is why the interview process is important. It's true. And speculation is a lot different than, uh, you know, being being convicted of a crime. You know, Randy Gregory, obviously... There was there was paperwork there. The man the man did what he did, and that's why his draft stock fell. I mean, Ray was drafted by out of Missouri by the Broncos, fell to the second round. You know, Jameis Winston. There was all these you know hearsay things still went first. So again, different reports are going to affect teams differently. You know, all depending on how they value it, where they value it, and that really plays into at the end of the day where they get drafted. So that is it for building momentum. We'll be right back with the wrap up. This is The Wrap-Up. Well, for anyone that follows uh, cultural events, events of importance, history, Major League Baseball, even that, uh, this week you know that the Tampa Bay Rays of the Major League Baseball uh, went to Cuba. Uh, for the first time since any major league team has gone since 1999, and uh, it really holds much more importance than just uh, just a professional baseball game. Obviously, we know that the embargo has opened uh, for the first time since 1959. The world has changed according to you know Cuban law and uh, the way that uh, Cuba kind of interacts with the rest of the world. So this is as much of uh, you know a cultural change cultural importance something major than just a sporting event you know and it really doesn't matter what side of the argument you're on it it, it really affects affects the entire world and that's really what's important and, and i personally have uh you know i have people that are close to it my fiance's uh her, her mother was born in cuba lived there till she was 13 her obviously her grandmother and grandfather uh were refugees refugees left the country uh you know shortly after you know Cuba closed their borders and closed up shop. And, you know, so this is something that I, I understand, you know, I understand how the people, especially in Miami, and if anybody saw how passionate Dan Lebertard was, that, uh, you know, this is this is a big deal. And, and a baseball game is not just going to make everything go go away and make everything be okay in the world, especially in the eyes of, you know, the Cuban-Americans that came over here and risked so much. And unfortunately, their families that still stay in that island that, you know, is, is shut off to the world, you know, where they still drive cars that were made in the 1950s and people don't have human necessities like medicine, you know, 
don't even worry about air conditioning and refrigerators that, you know, they live like they're in a, a third a third world country. And it's unfortunate because it's it's so close to America, you know, off the coast of Miami. It's what, 90 miles. And yet people have to have to go and come over here. Baseball players, you know, come over here every every year on rafts, you know made of made of cardboard and plastic and things that anything they can they risk life and limb to make better for themselves and their family and and mo i know obviously you're a man of politics and you understand the way the world works and we're both big on history but you know would you would you say that this is something that you know hopefully people can kind of grasp and put their heads around and you know no matter what side of the argument you're on at least it, it sparks a debate that you know things need to change and at least maybe this is the step in the right direction well, uh, looking at it in the big picture, the USA is really trying to mend fences with Cuba and just kind of build a bridge there. You mentioned the embargo being lifted. Uh, Obama basically went over there as a symbolic uh, gesture to say, you know, this we're extending our hand out, you know, to Cuba. And, uh, you know, as you said, I, I follow politics and the Republicans aren't too fond about Obama going over there and extending his hand. Uh, if you watched, if you saw online, if you could just Google Obama, Raul Castro, Castro's handshake, and you'll see Obama's hand kind of went limp. I mean, Castro raised his hand, his arm as to say, you know, this is it. You know, we're, we, you know, we're cool almost. And Obama's wrist just goes really limp. It's a really awkward handshake. You have to really see it again. Just Google Obama Castro handshake and you'll see it. But um, on to more important things uh, with sports. Sports is just so global. I mean, Mike shared his uh, his experience going to a soccer game, and soccer is gaining popularity in the USA as we become a more diverse country. I mean, the the NFL is sending the Rams to China in 2018. So yeah, well, what's what's that about? And who are they gonna yeah, play? I have no idea. Yeah, and I don't I don't know why they would send the Rams over. <laughs> <laughs> you want to send your best product? You're sending the Rams. Case Keenum is not gonna entice Chinese people to watch football. Not but, at all. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, sports, American sports, they're trying to extend themselves, you know, across sports outside of the country, reach out to other countries to kind of get excited about what we're excited about as Americans when we watch TV, when we go to these games and watch these athletes, the best athletes in the world, you know, do do, do their thing on the field and on the court. But, it's, I mean, as far as Obama going, there were some people who didn't like the fact that he went. And, they, and as you know, there was an unfortunate happening in Belgium, Brussels, uh, Brussels, where, you know, you had people setting off bombs and, and, you know, casualties over there. But uh, Obama said he had a quote saying, you know, basically explaining why he went to the game. And this is what he said. He said, the whole premise of terrorism is to try to disrupt people's ordinary lives. He said this in an interview with ESPN. And he said, it's always a challenge when you have a terrorist attack anywhere in the world. Now, he also cited uh, David Ortiz. And when he spoke out, when the Boston Marathon attacks happened, and David Ortiz basically said, Boston's strong. We're not going to be intimidated by anyone or their terrorist attacks. We're not going to stop living. We're going to continue to do what we do. So that was a good move by Obama to cite that, to say, look, I attended the game to say, look, I'm not going to let the terrorists win. But people took it as a slight that he should have spoke out more, that he should have been in America to address this, because as you know, Americans are very, very uptight about terrorism and people setting up bombs. We have New York City. We have, you know, L.A. We have some very crowded areas with a lot of people, high population, and people are afraid. And you see this with the politics and debates. A lot of politicians, I mean, I call it fear-mongering. Obviously, there is a threat out there, but 
they really play up on terrorists coming over to America and setting off bombs and, and basically taking advantage of, of of our borders and things like that. And that's where Trump wins his arguments. Donald Trump is, you know, he gets on CNN all the time for the crazy things that he says, but a lot of his message is all about building up the economy and securing borders so that we're, we don't become the victim of these terrorist attacks that happen in Brussels. Now, again, Obama had a, had a good reason for attending the game, and he's out there trying to mend fences, as I said, with Cuba and just show that there's some, there's some solidarity there. And he, he did speak out about the attacks, and he did denounce terrorism. He does it every time it happens. People don't take too kindly about it. They, they felt that he should have had a larger you know, say in what happened. But again, David Ortiz put it, he framed it, and he said, terrorists win when you stop living the way you want to live. Again, we have to be aware of what's going on in today's world and what's people coming over and, and suspicious things and see something, say something. That's a big thing in New York City when you ride the subway, you see it all over posters and things like that. But you cannot stop your flow for what these people want to do because there's evil everywhere. Crime happens. I mean, I if you watch the news, every day someone's getting shot, stabbed. And, it, and that happens every day. But do you say, oh, I'm not going to ride the train today. I'm not going to go to work today because someone was shot or stabbed. you got to keep living and trust that our country leaders are going to protect us the best way possible. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, and if you, you know, if you follow and you know what the president's doing, you know that he wasn't just stopping in Cuba. You know he was off to South America after. Obviously, he has a whole itinerary. And again, we're not going to – obviously, the regime in Cuba is not very uh, understanding. They're not the type of people that if Obama said – I'm going to leave now. I'm going back to the United States. They're not going to be like, oh, okay, we'll do this again next week. Like, no, this has been something that's been building forever. I mean, this has been this is a huge, you know, process. This is not something they put together overnight, you know. So Obama coming there, bringing Derek Jeter, bringing, you know, other dignitaries, people that, you know, were there to somewhat, I don't know, somewhat make an understanding and come to some kind of idea that things are going to have to get better was why Obama couldn't just pick up and leave. And you saw, if you saw, you know, once that Obama was there with, with Castro and the, 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 the questions that were asked by the media, the media had never asked questions to Castro because he didn't allow it. It's a communist state. They're not, he doesn't want to be asked questions. So when he was asked questions for the first time, you saw that he didn't know how to react. So you saw the fact that he didn't know how to answer these questions. And that's good because now people can see in his own country, not only, you know, that this man obviously doesn't know what he's doing I mean, maybe the, and more importantly than the people in this country because they know it's more it's people around the world so that you know it's time to take action it's time that you know this regime finally stops because you know the murders and the death and, and the crime it's just it's just not needed and you know there's so much bad that goes around in this world and you spoke about brussels i mean yes it can happen anywhere but it seems like in certain places in the world it continues to happen more and more and, and we are fortunate in the united states we have had it happen and it's it's, it's a horrible thing, but in places like, like Belgium, where they have the most per capita people that have left Belgium to go fight for ISIS, anywhere in the world. And, and the idea of that came from a soccer player who played for Anderlecht, uh, Andy Najjar. He, he, he's actually Hondurian, and he actually lived in the United States when he was 13, and he attended high school in, in Alexandria. No longer wants to play for the club in Anderlecht, in Brussels. And he says, quote, I'm afraid for my family. He goes, I don't want anything to happen to them or happen to me. It's dangerous. I want to be safe. It would be best for me to leave here. In every country it can happen, but Belgium, it's it's bad right now. And and he's right. 
but it's bad. It can be bad everywhere. But again, if, unless you put yourself right there, unless you were there on September 11th in New York, you don't know exactly what happened. And we all have our own recollections and memories of that day and we all felt equally horrible but again it affects people differently and you can't really put yourself in someone's shoes unless you were god forbid in manhattan you were a first responder you were there at ground zero just like you can't put yourself at the brussels airport i mean it's just it's so tough and you can't say the president should have done this or should have done that he he felt and his administration felt they did what was best for everybody at the time so again everybody just needs to kind of come to some kind of understanding that you know there's no right or wrong there's just something that you have to have to be invested in and at least you can say the one thing that there's no flip flip or flop on on, on the part of the uh, the obama administration and of course you know certain republicans will say you know he did this he should have done that but that's just the way politics go and that's why unfortunately as long as there's more than one party, there's always going to be division. And and I think that plays a lot to the point of why, why you know, the Cuban situation is finally being addressed. You know, they're opening the port of call, you know, and Dan Lebertard, again, was very passionate about it. And he feels, you know, why should we open the port of call? Why should they have another port for Carnival Cruises to go to and, and to give money to the Cuban government when they have been so bad to their own people? And that's very understandable. You know, that that's that's a person who lived it. That's a person that his family... You know, their relatives were in prison, murdered. I mean, you have to be you have to have some kind of real, real understanding and groundedness to it to to understand the implications and how everybody around it feels. Because, you know, with an outside of you, you can get all the information you possibly want, but you don't really comprehend, uh, you know, the magnitude of the situation. And I think that's what most important people need to take away, uh, you know, just how big on the global spectrum this is. You know, not, nothing has happened in this country since 1959 that's that's a long time that's a lifetime absolutely and what the bigger picture here is and you spoke about 9-11 and things that happen to people unfortunate situations but we also have to understand that there are different perspectives on the same event someone who was in manhattan during 9-11 when 9-11 happened may have a different perspective on terrorism than someone who was in arizona or california I remember Ted Cruz, a Republican candidate running for, for president, spoke about New York values, how New Yorkers are all about money, and Trump kind of fired back with saying, well, we're also passionate because when 9-11 happened, we stuck together and we fought through it together. So again, this is all perspective. You mentioned Andy Najjar saying he wanted to leave Belgium because he feared for his safety, his family. So you had to feel for him. He was actually close to the incident, so obviously he feels shaken up about it. The president was kind of removed. He was in Cuba. As you said, that Cuba meeting was long overdue, and they already planned it out. And what would you expect Obama to do? Run over to, to Belgium to do what? To speak? He, I mean, he spoke out upon it. There's nothing really he could do after the fact that it's already happened. It's a horrible event, and they're trying to put together that town, that community, and, and move forward. Again, you have to reflect on what happened as an unfortunate situation, but it, it happened, and there's nothing you can do to kind of bring back those lives that were already lost. The best thing you can do is protect and figure out a way you can you can thwart this this you know this kind of evil empire so with sports and politics it kind of ties in because in sports you know it's all about overcoming adversity and you have to do that in life in general life and i know politicians are going to fire 
at Obama about what he did. And again, like you said, there's division when you have Democrat and Republicans. So everything that he does is going to be criticized and scrutinized to the T. So they're going to take everything that he does and they're going to make it into a negative to promote themselves so that they can win the presidency. It's all about hope. So to pay, pay less attention to the politics and more to the, to the life stories, to the human stories you hear from Andy Najjar to people who are around 9-11 to other terrorist attacks that happen around the world, not just in this country, but around the world. Because when you lose a life, when you lose a life and lose a family life, a cousin or uncle or someone who's who unfortunately was in a situation, it's that pain is all the same. We all feel the same pain when we lose a family member or someone close to us, a loved one. So again, we have to understand, we have to be inclusive, not not exclusive. I always say that in every podcast. It's all about perspective. We have to understand other people's perspectives. And and again, this this kind of uh, hate rhetoric that we're hearing in this country is is could be dangerous because you're having Muslims being attacked for no reason. We have to understand not all Muslims support um, you know, this radicalism. So you also have to see it from their perspective because their people are being killed, their people are being executed, their people are, are experiencing the same pain we experience in the Middle East. It happens. So again, uh, just be mindful of perspective. We try to do that on the Mike and Mo show when Mike and I debate. Of course, this is sports. These are not life stories. It's not life-threatening situations. It's just sports. We have fun with it. But again, it's about debate and, and accepting each other's differences and perspectives. Yeah, it's you know creating awareness, you know, creating sparking a dialogue. That's that's really what's important. And I feel you know if if we can give that and you can take that away from it, then, you know, at least we're on the right track. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, that's what, you know, the happenings that are going on in the world or, you know, should be taken away from it. And don't forget the human element because that's really the most important thing. That's that's the absolute thing to, to keep in mind. So, again, you can check us out on our Facebook, Mike Mosho, Twitter, Mike Mosho. Don't forget to go on iTunes and give us a rating. We got a couple of ratings already, so we, we need those ratings coming in. Uh, we're on our we're on past the fifth episode, and we, you know we're still pumping out information for you guys and opinions and great things from baseball or basketball or football. Today we touched on politics for you guys who are familiar with politics, and we we hope you enjoyed the show. Yeah, this has been fun. You know we uh, we appreciate everybody uh, tuning in. Keep doing it. We'll keep giving you what we can. And uh, again, our prayers go out to the people in Brussels and uh, of course all around the world. And uh, let's uh, let's hope one day to the next we get a little bit smarter, a little bit wiser, and uh, at the end of the day, it all makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, that's it. Episode six of the Mike and Mo Show. We'll be back next week and uh, just getting ready for that NCAA tournament to wrap up. Baseball will be just about ready for first pitch, and it'll finally be the time in the NBA season where it actually matters. So tune in next week. Same web address. Hit us up on social media, and uh, we look forward to doing it again. Mo, as always, thank you, my friend. Absolutely. Hashtag more money, more buckets, people. For life. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk next week. Have a good one.